Well, it's, uh, it's good to be back. Um, it's great to see Tanya and I were able to be here yesterday for the block party, and it's just been great to see so many of you and uh, reminisce about old times and, and be back with our, with our family. You know, I was, I, was, I was doing the math. I think it was um, January 20th, 2008 was the first time I stood in this pulpit. And I promise you, I'm every bit as nervous right now as I was back then. But that's okay. God, God's going to help me. He, uh, he, he equips me because he's called me. I'm not, I'm not equipped, um, but I'm called. So I know God, I trust that God will help me. We're, we're going to be in uh, Romans 12 this morning. So you might want to turn there. Um, I'm probably going to be referencing 1 Peter 1 and 2 as well, so you might want to keep your finger in 1 Peter. Um, uh, But just a few preliminaries before before I continue. Um, You know, uh, Pastor Dan called me. I'm I'm not sure how far back he called me later this spring and told me about this 125th anniversary celebration and and said, yeah, we're going to take six Sundays and uh, leading up to this 125th anniversary celebration in September, and we decided we wanted to invite six former MCN pastors to come back and and preach over those six Sundays. And I just felt so blessed. And I'm I'm like, wow, you're you're asking me to be one of those six pastors to come back? What, What a blessing and an honor and a privilege. I felt so honored and privileged and blessed. And then I did the math and realized there's only six former MCN pastors still alive. So I was like, oh, oh, that's, that's what that was about. Um, but no, I, uh, I, I am blessed and, and, and privileged um, to be back here. Um, 125 years, you know, um, that's, that's a pretty good run. The average lifespan of a church in America is 79 years. So to be celebrating 125 is a huge, praise God, is, is the absolute correct response, Nancy Cove, Whitney. Praise God, 125 years is, is remarkable. That is, um, that is amazing. There's a lot to be said about that. And, you know, along with the faithfulness of God, which we have very clearly and appropriately declared here this morning, there's a lot of saints over those 125 years in this church who've been faithful as well. Amen. And they, they understood clearly, the saints of this church understood clearly for 125 years where they belonged um, right here in this local fellowship. And we're, we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. But I'm going to read for us from Romans 12. Uh, this is uh, verses 3 through 13. I'm reading from the NIV. <clears throat> this is what Paul writes for us. For, the, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. 
Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, and practice hospitality. And I especially want to highlight verse five for us this morning. And I want to read that again for us. In Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And I want to, I want to focus on that verse because I really think that is the heartbeat of this message for us today. You know, First Peter says, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter, he's, he's writing to the scattered believers of his day. This, this is what he said to them. He said, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Once you were not a people, but now you have become the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And Peter clearly understood this idea of, of belonging in the church, belonging to one, to one another, right? And, and again, Paul, same thing. He clearly understood this idea of, of belonging. You know, a few months back, I, I began preaching through the book of Romans in, in our church down in Delaware, and I preached through Romans and um, became a little bit more familiar with it. I had not preached through Romans before, and as many of you probably understand, you know, the book of Romans is, is one of the most... Um, systematic and, and doctrinally developed books that, that's been written by the, by the Apostle Paul. And because of that, you know, there are certain core questions that as Christians, there are certain core questions that can be answered simply by studying the book of Romans. First, how does one become a Christian? You can figure that out just by reading Romans. Secondly, what does a Christian believe? Paul makes that clear in the book of Romans. Thirdly, how should a Christian behave? Paul talks about that in the book of Romans. And I think here in our passage this morning in, in Romans 12, I think we can answer this question. Where does a Christian belong? Where does a Christian belong? And, and I think it's, it's to this matter of belonging that, that we need to give our attention this morning. You know, as, as you are well aware, I'm sure, um, our culture here in America is, is, is basically an expression of aggressive individualism. And, and, and maybe on, on one hand, there, there can be some positives there, you know, um, on one hand. <laughs> but as you also know, um, I think that's one of the major downfalls of our society as well. This, this idea that it's all about me, right? It's all about me. I'm only looking out for number one. Um, drives me a little bit crazy. And, 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 and it's spilling over into the church as well. We, we are not exempt, church, so we need to pay careful attention here because G-O-D in our culture spells whatever people want it to spell, right? It means whatever people want it to mean. But when you open up your Bible, you see, oh no, that's not the case, right? That's not, that's not the case at all, right? So, so be careful that you're not listening to the nonsense of the culture and society that's telling you something different. Don't pay attention to that. G-O-D is not whatever you want it to mean. The Bible is very clear about who God is, right, and what God's all about. You know, if you want to understand the chaos of our culture, it's not hard to figure out. One word, idolatry. 
And, and, and the first and greatest idol is the idol that is me, right? It's all about me. It's all about my decision. It's about my choice. It's about my gender. It's about my ideas. It's all about me. Me, me, me. No culture can survive that, and ours is proving it. And please understand this. Idolatry is essentially trusting someone or something to do for us what only God can do, right? Idolatry, idolatry is trusting someone or something to do for us what only God can do, right? To provide for us what only God can provide. But when it comes to the church, we, we need to have an appropriate understanding of the, of the nature and culture of the church, right? We need to have an appropriate understanding of how this works, of how this functions. And, and, and I wanna, first of all, make a clear distinction here between the, the, the large C church and the small C church, right? You know, you know there's a, a distinction between the two, right? The, the, the invisible church, the worldwide family of faith, saints of God for all of time and eternity, and, and the local visible community of faith, the local congregation, the big C church and the small C church. You know, when a person is placed in Christ, when, when an individual comes to faith in Christ and, is, and is placed, has placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they become a part of the invisible church, right? That, that worldwide family of faith of all time, that great, vast company of believers, many of whom have already gone on to glory, right? Invisible church, big C church. Years ago, the, the church used to sing that beautiful hymn, the, the, the church is one foundation. I'm sure many of you know it well. Right? The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. And with his own blood he bought her and for her life he died. And, and I love the first line of the second verse. Elect from every nation, yet one over all the earth. That sounds to me like Romans 12.5, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's not, that's not a hymn describing a local congregation. That's, that's not a hymn that was written about a small church out on the plains of Kansas. No, that was, that was a hymn written about the, the invisible church, right? The, the large universal body of Christ for all time. But the Bible tells us that we've been born into a family. I mean, it, it uses that very same terminology, doesn't it? Verse 23 in 1 Peter 1, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. And some of you are saying, yeah, 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 Pastor Gary, that's, that's what happened to me. Yeah, I, I became born again. Yeah, I've, I've become a part of the family of faith. You know, I've, I've read my Bible and I've understand some things. You know, I never read the Bible before. Oh, we had a Bible at home growing up. We had a family Bible. None of us ever read it. Sat on the coffee table or, or on the bookshelf collecting dust. But then I, one day I picked it up and decided to read it and study it for myself. Somebody at work told me about it. Somebody at work told me I should read the Bible. So I thought, all right, I'm going to pick up the Bible and, and read the Bible and study it for myself. And the Bible came alive to me and showed me who I am and showed me what I need, right? And I became a Christian. I placed my faith in, in, this, in this Jesus who died for me. And, and I became a newborn baby. This is First Peter 2. And I began to, to crave the milk of the word of God so that I might grow up in my salvation. That happened to me, Pastor Gary. 
And as I began to read the Bible, I discovered that I, I, I had been born into a family. And I also discovered, you know what? I, I, I was a living stone and I was being built into a house. Built into a family and built into a house, right? And not only that, I'm in verse nine now, 1 Peter 1. I was part of a much larger company than I ever realized. Yeah, the Bible tells me I'm, I'm part of a, a chosen people and, and a royal priesthood and a holy nation. And yeah, Pastor Gary, since I've been reading my Bible, I realize I'm a member of Christ's flock and he is the chief shepherd, right? I've been reading my Bible and I've discovered that I'm, I'm part of Christ's body and he is the head. Yeah, and I've been reading my Bible and I recognize I am included in Christ's household and I have a part to play in the house. Amen. Yeah, when, 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 when we read our Bibles, <laughs> things, things become clear to us. We, we, we begin to understand some things. We realize that we're all members of this invisible body, this worldwide family of faith, believers in Christ of all time. But the invisible church only finds expression in the visible communities of God's people, right? Those who identify themselves with a local congregation. Gotta be part of both, gang. Big C church, small C church. Gotta be part of both. Because when we read our Bible, it quickly becomes apparent that God, that God anticipates, I, I would say even expects, that those who become members of the invisible body will become functioning, active members of the local visible body as well. I think scripture's clear about that. And, and when you think in terms of the, of the visible church, what, what, whatever metaphor you wanna use, whether it's a flock or a building or a body or whatever, each of those metaphors only works when you think in terms of relationships with somebody else. Because one sheep doesn't make a flock, one brick doesn't make a building, one limb doesn't make a body, and one individual doesn't make a family. Nothing singular about it. Nothing singular about it. The, it it's impossible to read your Bible without understanding the, the, the plural, the communal nature of which so much of the material of scripture is, is addressed. This is all about community. This is all about relationships. Not about individuals, right? Take, take, take the letters that are written. The majority of them writ written to local congregations, to, to specific groups of people. I mean, you can turn virtually anywhere. Turn, turn to 1 Corinthians. Written to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? So in other words, Paul, Paul is covering this specific group of believers that, that are there in Corinth, yes, he is, but he's also recognizing what's gonna take place when this letter goes far beyond Corinth. Oh, he never would have had Manchester, Connecticut in mind, but Manchester, Connecticut is right there in the second verse, isn't it? Yeah. Right? Written not only to those who are gathering in Corinth, but written to all those gathered everywhere throughout the world who are gathered in Christ and therefore to one another. Philippi, same thing, written to all the saints in Philippi, in Christ Jesus, right? Pick a letter, any letter. Written to specific groups of people who, without church buildings, without denominational affiliations, understood themselves to be included in Christ's great and an invisible body, right? But they also understood that they needed to become part of the visible 
body, the local fellowship as well, right? And in everything, in everything, the fellowship was first of all vertical. First, first John 1, 3, remember? Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So first, we have got the vertical, right? God our Father. Secondly, this is First John 1, 9, as we walk in the light, as he is in light, we have fellowship with one another. Then we have the horizontal, right? We got the vertical first. We got the horizontal second. What shape is that? Cruciform. Our life as a Christian should be cruciform in shape. Our first and primary relationship is with God our Father. Secondly, with each other. Our life as a Christian should be cruciform in shape. Yeah, when, when we realize we're placed in Christ, we, we understand we're part of a vast company of believers of, of, of all time in, into God's family and the family of God worldwide for all time. It's an amazing thing. The church of Jesus Christ of all time, it's an amazing thing. Far too large for any one of us to, to count or to even comprehend. It's amazing to be part of the family of God. Amazing. But in order to make sense of the Bible, in order to make sense of what we read in Scripture, we need to get ourselves involved where there's actual flesh and blood reality to this. Right? Because some of us like invisibility. First two weeks of the COVID pandemic, best two weeks of my life. I could read my Bible and pray in solitude for two weeks and the introvert in me, it was a glorious thing. But then April 1st hit and I was like, ooh, I need relationship, I need, I need connection. And I, and I wrestled after the first two weeks, which were great, after the first two weeks of the COVID pandemic, because oh, we can't do this alone, we need each other, we need relationship, we need, we need, we, uh, we need connection and relationship, right? But some of us like invisibility. I need like a table, like right here, I like it. Some of us like invisibility, right? It's, you know, it's clearly possible to be a member of the invisible church without being part of the visible fellowship. That's not good. No, nope, not good. And I wonder, if, uh, I wonder if some of you are in that position this morning. You're part of the invisible Church, you've placed your faith in Christ. There's no doubt about that. There's no question about that, right? You're, you're not in doubt about whether you've been born of his spirit, whether it's important for you to show up in a worship service on a Sunday morning, whether you should participate in events like the block party and other things. You're, you're not arguing that. That's not in question. But it's possible to be a member of the invisible church without identifying with a local invisible community. It's also part possible to be an active participant in the visible community without being a member of the invisible church. And honestly, the former is much better than the latter because it's better to be an involved and committed non-member than it is to be an uninvolved and uncommitted member. And, and if we're gonna take seriously this, this question of belonging to the family of faith belonging to the local fellowship, we need to recognize that, yeah, although we come to Christ individually, we do not live in Christ individually. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. 
We need each other. We need relationship. We were not called to journey this journey alone. We were called to journey this journey together in relationship with other believers. We've been born again into a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Second thing I want you to notice is that in the church, God has made a special provision for his children. And that special provision is the local church. Right? A local congregation. We understand it in terms of family, don't we? Like, we, we understand that language. We understand what it means to be in a family, right? You know, you think about a, a, an abandoned baby left on the, the doorstep of a clinic and just the thought of children growing up as orphans, unattached, unloved, uncared for, fending for themselves. And that's just an awful thing, right? Awful to think about, right? Something that hopefully every sensible, caring community has, has always tried to do something about. So I think the application is fairly obvious. God, God has no, not only planned that we would be born into physical families, God has planned that we, we would be born into spiritual families as well, right? And when you're born into a physical family, you can't choose your relatives. Some of us would like to, right? And some would have discarded with us a long time ago, right? You can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. And the same is true when being placed in the body of Christ. You can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. Yeah, I know Bill and Gloria Gaither wrote that song back in the 70s. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Maybe it would have been better if it were written, I'm surprised that you're a part of the family of God. I mean, that would be much more honest, wouldn't it? Starting with ourselves. Right? Starting with me, I'm surprised that I'm a part of the family of God. We, 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 we look into the mirror of God's word, we ought to be surprised. We ought to be surprised that we're part of the family of God. It's an amazing thing. I hope you're surprised. I know I am. But you only get to be surprised about yourself. You don't get to be surprised about your brothers and sisters. Because you know what happens when people get surprised about their brothers and sisters? People take their baseball bat and their glove and they go down the street and find another ball diamond. They take their tennis racket, oh, I'm gonna go find another club. I'm done with them. I'm done with them. Would you do that in your family? No, you wouldn't do that in your family. So why would you do it to your church family? Inappropriate, not okay, not acceptable. No, you wouldn't do that to your family, would you? Yeah, you, you may go off in a huff for a while, right? You may, you may stomp up the stairs and slam your door and stew in your anger and, and say awful, horrible things about your siblings. You plan your exit strategy. I'm gonna run away from home. I'm gonna build one of those things like Huck Finn. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a red and white handkerchief and tie it to the end of a stick and I'm gonna put everything I own in there and I'm gonna go off on my raft, right? And as you sit in your bedroom for long enough, you realize your biggest problem is you. You are your own biggest problem. Go back downstairs and say you're sorry. Go back downstairs and apologize, right? Go back down the stairs and say, forgive me, I was wrong. Because that that's what family members do. 
right? That's the way we repair and we restore family relationships, don't we? That's what, that's what we should do. We don't take our tennis racket and go join another club. No, don't do that. Don't do that, right? The way we repair and restore family relationships, we go back down the stairs and we apologize. We make it right. And some of you here this morning, you've not, you've not done that. You didn't go back down the stairs. You didn't write the note. You didn't say, I'm sorry, right? And, he, and, he, and even as you sit and listen to me now, it's like a dagger in your heart. Go back down the stairs and apologize. Go back down the stairs and say you're sorry, right? Because you've been distanced from a physical family member for years without any reconciliation, without any restoration. And you know, and they know, it's just wrong. It's not right. Make it right. Make it right. You ought to take care of that. Love, love always takes the initiative. Remember that, love always takes the initiative. Make it right. But when I regard myself as the offended one, right? Who, who, first of all, who am I making that about? Making it about me, right? I don't get to be offended. This isn't about me, right? This isn't about me. I don't, I don't get to be offended and go off in a huff. That is sub-Christian. Don't go there. Don't make it about you. It's not about you. It's about our family. It's about the church, both the big C church and the small C church. Don't make it about you. Right? When I, when I regard myself as the offended one, especially, especially within the family of faith, what happens? Oh, I'm just going to quit. I'm going to run. I'm going to hide. I'm going to take my baseball bat and glove and go find another ball diamond. I don't recommend that. Don't go there. Don't go there. Not appropriate. Sub-Christian. My friends John and, and Paul and, and George and Ringo said it well. Think of what I'm saying. Do I have to keep on talking until I can't go on? Think of what I'm saying. We can work it out. We can work it out. Life is very short and there's no time for fussing and fighting, my friends. I've always thought that it's a crime, so I'll ask you once again, think of what I'm saying. We can work it out. We can work it out. It's good advice, right? But the special provision for God, the special provision of God for his people in, ter in, in, in terms of belonging, it's a local fellowship, the visible local community of faith, small c church, right? And it's in this kind of context that we're able to, to work these things out, right? This is, we can, we can do this. Sometimes it's hard work, but we can work it out, right? It's in this kind of context that we can, we can try and make sense of a word like, like fellowship. Such, such a, uh, another one of my pet peeves, such a cliche. We, we slap that word on every type of gathering. What is fellowship? Oh, it's eating pizza together. What's fellowship? Oh, we put a big pot of coffee in the center of the room. We all dance around it. Fellowship. It's, a, it's become a very loosely applied word to any type of gathering, but, but, but understand where that word comes from and understand the context of, of, of why the church chose that word. Because in fact, the word fellowship comes from, it comes from historical and classical Greek. And in classical Greek, it was, it was used of a business partnership 
where both individuals were committed to each other no matter, no matter what in the profits and the risks. It was a high leverage, very serious, committed partnership and relationship. In, in, in original Greek, it was also used to define marriage, where a husband and wife committed to share everything with each other no matter what. The, 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 the strength of the commitment in that word fellowship Koinonia is the Greek word, was significant, right? It was significant. And, and, and the church came along and said, okay, what, what's the best possible word that we can use to explain what it means to be in this committed family relationship with each other? And the church said, you know what? Let's, let's use the word koinonia because there's a serious, serious strength of commitment in that word to one another, Right? And that's exactly the word they chose to use, koinonia. And the emphasis they sought after was, was the idea of generous sharing rather than selfish getting. That was the motivation behind the choice of the word koinonia, right? That the nature of Christian fellowship is directly related to our coming together primarily to give and not receive. Are you here to give this morning or are you here to receive this morning? Ask not what your church can do for you. Ask what you can do for your church. Right? You're here to give, you're here to receive. We come to give, right? We come together corporately to give God our praise and our worship, right? And we've done that this morning. We've not, we, we're not here to get, we're here to give. But what God does in a, in a way that I don't under, understand, but I know is true, in a way that only God does, we come to give, we give to him, we sing these songs of praise to him, we declare his faithfulness and we give God praise and we bless his name. Inevitably, invariably, he prepares our hearts to receive from his word. That's not the goal, the goal isn't to come and receive, the goal is to come and give, but somehow in a way that God can only do, we, we end up receiving from him and we receive from each other, right? And we, we come each week to see each other, to be encouraged for the week ahead, right? Six days a week, Monday through Saturday, you have your own worship service. You choose your own worship songs, right? Six days a week, we do that on our own. But on Sundays, we come together and we worship corporately. And we praise God for his faithfulness. And somehow he prepares us and we encourage each other and we're, we're filled and prepared to go Serve him faithfully for another week. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, this word, koinonia, it actually doesn't appear until Acts chapter 2. It appears nowhere in the Gospels. Nowhere in the Gospels, right? But once the community of God becomes the, the spirit-filled community of believers on the day of Pentecost and following the preaching of Peter, remember Peter preached and and. How, how, how many people came to faith? Was it five, six, or seven? Oh, yeah, it was 3,000, yeah. 3,000 people came to faith on that day that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. And, and, and then, what did that mean? What did that mean that 3,000 people, it meant that 3,000 people were added to the invisible church, right? Big C church. And what did they do? What did they say almost immediately? having been placed into Christ and into the invisible body, you know what they said? They said, you know what? 
We better make sure that we're committed at the local and visible level. We need to get plugged in and make sure we have accountability and oversight and connection. And that's why we read in Acts 2.42, they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, and so on, right? They understood quickly, okay, I'm part of the invisible church, now I gotta get connected and plugged in at the visible and local level. Clearly understood that. Clearly understood that. Right? So it's not only in the body of Christ that, that we deal with fellowship, but, but it's also in the body of Christ that we deal with instruction. Right? How, how are we to learn the Bible? Well, we read it for ourselves, number one. We have those who help us with it. We have Bible studies and commentaries. We, we have helps to, uh, to help us as we learn and study the Bible. But remember, Jesus sent his disciples out, and what did he say? He said, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And then the ascended Christ, he gave gifts to the church. This is Ephesians 4, by the way. And one of the gifts that he gave to the church was pastors and teachers. Pastors and teachers. And these pastors and teachers are are supposed to be set apart to, to labor in the word, to study the word to be able to appropriately preach the word. And notice my choice of adverbs there, appropriately preach the word, right? There's a little bit too much fluff being preached out there today. Not appropriate. We need to preach the word of God, right? Pastors and teachers need to preach the word of God because together they are watching over the flock as those who must give an account. And that's an intimidating verse for me. Right? One day, I need, I'm going to stand before God. I'm going to have to give an account of, of everything I've said from the pulpit. That's a little bit intimidating. I'm going to be held to a higher standard. That's a little scary. But I'm up for the task. And the purpose of God in relationship to instruction is that in terms of Ephesians 4, pastors and teachers are to edify the saints. That edify, here's another Greek 101 lesson for you. Oikodemia. Oikodemia means to edify, to encourage, to build up. Pastors and teachers, right, are to instruct the body, to encourage them, to build them up so that the saints can do the work of ministry. So if I'm doing my job well, and Pastor Dan's doing his job well, and Pastor Julie is doing her job well, and Pastor Chim is doing his job well, and preaching the word appropriately, you're going to say, you know what? I need to get involved here. And I need to serve here because I belong here. That should be your response. That should be the response of your heart, right? You should say, you know what? I have a part to play in this deal. Because you do. Absolutely. And whether it's volunteering in the children's department or the youth ministry or serving as an usher or a greeter or worship team member, sound, media, leading a small group, teaching a Sunday school class, whatever it may be, You get involved here and you get connected here because you belong here. In Christ, we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Oh, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Church, we need, we need to be ruthless 
and taking the principles of God's word as it relates to our belonging to each other and to the family of God in such a way that our, our homes and our hearts and our families and our relationships are guarded and kept by his amazing love. Amen? Because you belong here. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for the truth and power of your word. God, we ask just now you would seal the truth of your word to our hearts in such a way, God, that we, that we understand. Lord, thank you um, for speaking to us in a powerful way. God, would you um, help us to understand what you might be saying to us just now, God, and, and more importantly, Father, help us to respond in obedience. God, thank you that you have placed us into this family to love you and serve you by loving and serving each other for the sake of your kingdom and your church where we belong. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.